Hey guys, welcome back to the Far Better Podcast. I am your host, Michael Clark, and today we're closing out our study on the wisest fool. Now, we've talked about him, and we've pointed him out. His name was Solomon. There's no denying that at one time when he was living, he was a wise man before God had even blessed him. We looked at 2 Chronicles chapter 1. Then God blessed him even further in 2 Chronicles 1 when the Lord basically tells him after God gives him the choice and Solomon says, well, I want wisdom so that I can take care of the people that you put me in charge of. God says, okay, I'll grant that to you, verse 12 of 2 Chronicles 1, but I'm also going to give you riches, wealth, and honor such as none of the kings who were before you had, nor shall any after you have the like. Solomon was, at one point, just a phenomenal character study. A man that it cannot be said of anyone else that possessed the wisdom that he had other than Jesus Christ, and it certainly cannot be said of anyone else as was king past Solomon, before Solomon, that they were even close to the riches, the wealth, and the honor that he possessed. And all of that happened not because Solomon was some chosen favorite, but because Solomon was someone who served God. And so today, we're going to give our text takeaways for the life of Solomon. Number one, it is possible to allow relationships to destroy us. I mean, Solomon had such a good thing going. No one can deny he was the wisest man that ever lived on the earth outside of Christ. No one can deny all the good that he was doing. No one can deny all that he had done before his wisdom increased. You remember those thousand burnt offerings he made in 2 Chronicles 1 verse 6? And all of this, all of the prowess that he had as a king, all of the wisdom that he was able to impart to the queen of Sheba when she came and said, the half wasn't told to me. I had no clue, 2 Chronicles 9. I had no clue that it was like this. All of that was thrown away for relationships that don't matter the most. Friends, it it is so important that we do not allow relationships to keep us from God. And you know that there are some relationships in our lives, past, present, and in some cases even yet future, that are toxic to our faith. Have you ever heard or said this? Well, I I know how to handle them. I'm smart enough to answer their skeptical concerns. Are we going to suggest that our knowledge is greater than Solomon? And see, here's what I, I, I alluded to it if I didn't just outright say it last week. Here's what needs to be known about Solomon here. Just in case I didn't say it, let me cover my bases. Solomon willingly turned his wisdom off when it came to his relationships. It wasn't that Solomon was just suddenly dumb. I even hate saying the word, but it wasn't that Solomon suddenly became unwise and couldn't know what was right to do. He knew 
that he shouldn't be doing what he was doing with those women. He knew what God had said. He was the wisest man. His logical ability and his logical prowess, if you will, if we're going to keep using the word prowess here, was unmatched for his day. To be able to look at two women and say to them, we'll just take this child and we'll divide it in half. Logically deducing that the real mother would say, oh, no, there's no way I want that to happen. I'll just let him go. Even though it's hard, even though I don't want it, I'll let him go and be with someone else. Solomon willingly turned off his wisdom when it came to women. And if he can allow relationships to destroy him, we can do the same. Number two, it is possible to be prudent or wise, if you will. I mean, started off using prudence. I know that one can live a life full of wisdom simply because Solomon shows me what one can do with God on their side. I know that he could have continued on the path if he had not just started it and then trailed off by turning off the wisdom he'd been blessed to have if he would have stayed the course. What excuse could Solomon give? I didn't know any better. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, there are people today, and they mean well, but they promote a doctrine that states that the flesh is so powerful that it overcomes the spirit. And basically, the spirit is saying, no, we shouldn't do this, we shouldn't do this. And the flesh says, but we're going to do it. And there are some people that would take that doctrine and they would say, therefore, God does not hold that to your charge because the flesh is weak. Friends, if that's true, we have no hope. We have no hope of righteousness. If that we can never tell ourselves no, if we can never say to ourselves, no, this is wrong, we're not going to do it, then in all honesty, what is the point? That's the sad truth about Solomon at this point in his life, that he could have said no, that he should have said no, and he just didn't do it. And it wasn't because he didn't know any better. He knew. He knew. Number three. Prudence is not just an Old Testament subject. I don't know, you might be thinking, Michael, your example that you've been using has come from the Old Testament, so how does that even apply to us? Well, let's point this out. It's one of my favorite New Testament passages because it covers so much when we want to go back to the Old Testament. I find myself more and more as I get into Bible study really becoming enamored with the Old Testament and loving what it has to say and loving the study of it and looking into it. And this is why it's important to go back to Old Testament examples. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So first, we know the Bible in its entirety is profitable because all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. But that includes the Old Testament because I'm told in Romans 15, 4, whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. H hope of what? 
hope of doing what's right, not just resulting in us having lived a good moral life, but that's it. We have hope that the promises that were made are accurate. Are there New Testament prophecies from the Old Testament? And what I mean by that, are there any prophecies in the Old Testament that aren't fulfilled till the New? Hmm. There are, aren't they? Are any of those prophecies increasing the chances of our eternal life? There are, aren't there? But it's not just the Old Testament here that teaches about prudence. The New Testament teaches this too. I want you to think, we don't have a ton of time to do this, but I want you to think about the book that Peter wrote about wisdom. Because Second Peter is about how people had at one time come to the knowledge or wisdom of God and then later became unfruitful. Essentially, they had prudence as their daily living and like Solomon, they turned from it. We could illustrate this with a lot of passages, but we're really only going to look at one, but I'll give you the others. For example, they were called to life and godliness through knowledge. That's 2 Peter 1, 2 through 8. They escaped, but were again entangled, 2 Peter 2, 18 through 22. And they were instructed to grow in grace and knowledge, 2 Peter 3 and verse 18. But it's 2 Peter 2 I want to look at for just a moment here. 2 Peter 2, 18 through 22 states... When they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. For if, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, what happens to them? Well, the the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. I've always thought verse 21 was a sobering thought. It would have been better for them to not have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment delivered to them. And verse 22 just encapsulates this sickening picture It has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit, and a pig, some translations say a sow, a sow having washed to her wallowing in the muck and the mire. I've had the privilege of having a few dogs in my lifetime, and I have seen pretty much all of them, at one point or another, throw up. But it never ceases to amaze me when the dog throws up that it would often look at that and say, well, it tasted good the first time. Surely the leftovers that just came out will taste as good going back in. I just can't fathom that. That's the picture God wants us to think about. That's the picture Peter wrote about when it comes to having a prudent life and leaving it. That's why 2 Peter 3.18, there's that instruction to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ so that we don't become like that dog or pig that after getting cleaned up, returns to the mud. Finally, 
what you know and how we live are two different matters. What I know and how I live are two different matters. Solomon knew what was right. But what good is head knowledge if you can't apply it to your life? You know, a lot of brilliant people will not be known on the day of judgment. Brilliant minds. Minds that have changed the world. People who have invented revolutionary technology. The very technology that I'm talking to you through was created by brilliant people who thought, wouldn't it be nice if we created a system and an ability for people to sit in their office in Memphis, Tennessee, or wherever else I am at the time of recording, and be able to plug up this thing called a microphone into a device that will record what they're saying, and then they can send it out. Those are brilliant minds. But brilliant people don't always do what's right, do they? In Matthew 7, 13 and 14, we're told to enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. But just a little bit further down here, in verses 21 through 23, we're told, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many people are going to say to Jesus in this day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Why should you and I allow that to be our story? Why should we be like Solomon was at that point in his life and find ourselves lost? Why should we reject salvation as he willingly did when he chose those women over his God? You know, I would rather be ignorant and righteous than brilliant and lost. I'd love to find a way to be both. Love to find a way to be brilliant and righteous. And that's what living prudently is all about. And so as we come to a close of another sermon that is one of my favorites to preach, and I'm closing out some tabs here while we're getting this put together, so if you hear a delay, that's why. We're coming to the very end of our season here. We just have one sermon left. And then after that, we have a special episode at the end of this season detailing some changes that are coming to the network and some things that will be happening in 2024 and beyond. But until next week, let's not forget to please God now so our eternity can be far better.